Welcome to Refocus. I'm your host, Trevor Wilson. This is a podcast of Sunday school lessons that I've taught, some sermons that I have preached. Uh, I have various guests at different times. Uh, Basically, the, the whole idea is to just kind of refocus back on the Word of God, going back to those Bible stories, studying the scriptures. Let's just, just kind of get out of ourselves, out of our own thinking, and go back to the Word of God and see what He has to say. I love those old Sunday school lessons when we were kids. We seem to have gotten away from some of those, just the bare bones bottom of what the Word of God, the meat and potatoes, if you will. So I hope you enjoy it and pass along and share. Now, let's get to the lesson. Hello again. We're back. Still in Matthew chapter 17. I think we got through verse 8 last time. So, um, we're going to pick up today in Matthew chapter 17, verse 9. It says here, as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. Now, we've run into this before, um, and we've talked about different reasons why Jesus may have done this, but you know, another thought occurs to me that, you know, Jesus had just revealed a very great mystery to just a handful of people, three in fact. And then he says, look guys, you got to keep this to yourself. Of course, overall, in this, this section of Scripture, Jesus is trying to prepare his disciples for his death, burial, and resurrection. He's mentioned before, he mentions it again. And uh, he'll mention it again, you know, later on in this chapter. But, um, you know, and they, they had a problem with that, but we'll talk about that when we get there. But he's sharing information with just a specific few. Now, you know, in years of pastoring, I pastored for 27 years, and there were things that I learned during that period of time that I couldn't share, or that I couldn't share with just anybody. I had to share with just a select few. It was intended for certain ears only. There were things I learned from God in my private study or in experiences, things that He revealed to me through things that I encountered that I knew were just for me. They were things that would help me grow or would help me be more competent in what I did. And I uh, am wondering if uh, this whole transfiguration thing that they just went through was, uh, and, and then he told him not to share it with anybody else was simply because he only wanted these these particular apostles to to be aware of that experience that they were learning or growing from this I don't know I'm just saying that God very often will reveal things to you in, in, in a number of different ways that he might choose to do that. But nonetheless, they're from God. Sometimes you realize it is, sometimes you don't, unfortunately. But God tends to reveal things to us in our marriage, as husbands and wives. There are things that we learn that we keep to ourselves. 
because it makes us better in the role that we play and it makes our family stronger as a result. Um, and they're not necessarily things you need to share. You just keep them to yourself and you learn and you grow. And I think everybody can attest to that, that you learn things about your spouse and about your relationship, about your ministry, different things you do in your life that always, that you just kind of realize that, ah, okay, God, I get it. I get it. I put that in the bank, then I can draw on it when I need it. It's not the kind of stuff you just share with everybody. For whatever reason that he did this, there's a there's always something we can learn from it. I think if nothing else, that's one of the things that we can learn when Jesus says, don't tell this to everybody. Then one of the things we might consider is that it was intended just for me, for a particular reason, so that I personally can grow. We need to keep that in mind um, in our personal study. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in a few minutes, but there are things that we learn that are just for us. So he tells them, don't, uh, don't spread this around. Um, and in verse 10, it says, And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then say the scribes that Elias must come first? Now, why, why would they ask him this question? Well, I kind of think they're in denial to begin with. They... Uh, you know, they're basically saying, wait, you you know, this this can't happen now. We know the scripture. We, we've learned it all our lives, and we know that scripture says Elijah's going to come. We're looking for Elijah. And uh, Jesus answers him. He says, but I say unto you that Elias, oh, I'm sorry, let, let me back up. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Elias truly shall first come. And restore all things. He's saying, yeah, you're right. That's what scripture says. But I say unto you, that Elias has come already, and they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. Then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist. You know, they came to the realization, you know, when they they were basically and try and, you know, tell him no. It's kind of like, you know, Peter when he fought against the uh, soldiers that, that came to arrest Christ and he, he cut off the ear of one of the soldiers. Um, he wasn't ready for it to happen and he thought he could prevent it. They're doing the same thing here. They're saying, well, if I do this, then you're not going to leave. You're not, you know, the crucifixion's not going to happen. And Jesus says, oh, too bad, fellas, it's, it's already happened. You missed it. And so they realize that he was talking about John the Baptist. It, you know, it's like he removed the veil from their eyes. And have you ever had those uh, removing of the veil moments in your life where you realize, oh, wow, I didn't know that's what God was doing. It, you know, God trained me for this. I know when I was a kid, I mean, I've always been kind of... Uh, organizationally oriented. You know, I have trouble with things that are hit or miss or not not well run. I like to know that there's a plan in place, not that you can't deviate from the plan, but have a plan in place. Um, when I write, when I study scripture, 
I mean, for study uh, for sermons and so on. I, I work from an outline. Some people work from a manuscript and they read the whole thing. I happen to work from an outline because it provides me structure. And as I put that outline together, you know, I first start with a with a theme, an overall message, and then I <clears throat> work my way back to it based on the scriptures and illustrations and different things that I use. But I have it all in outline form, so generally one point builds upon the other, and they all build towards a conclusion or a challenge. <coughs> so I like to have something in front of me. So as I started to say when I was a kid, I used to, uh, in my neighborhood, we would put together different events when we played. Um, we'd have wiffle ball teams. We'd play home run derby. We'd play strikeout. We'd play, we had a thing, we invented a game called grounders where we would throw ground balls towards one another. And you, you know, you had to, it, ball had to have so many bounces to it. It had to stay within a, we'd, we'd take this sidewalk <clears throat> the squares on the sidewalk, and you know, we could only go two squares wide or one square wide, or however big they were. That's sort of, so we had rules in place, but we would put together schedules and we put together teams if that's what it called for. Well, guess who? Guess who had to do that? I did. I made all the schedules. I had all the teams. I remember one time uh, I I sat at home. And uh, I took a bunch of paper and whatnot and I put together a match game. If you remember the match game on TV. And I took it outside and we all played the match game. I was always the one that did that kind of stuff. Well, later in life, I began to realize as I became a pastor and so on, and we, we began to plan events and different things needed to occur and, and what have you. I realized that that was something that God had already trained me for. That had become an area of expertise for me, and I was able to find value in it, put it to use you know, in my organizational structure, in my secular life. You know, I had my own business, and I was the one that had to plan the jobs and the right people to put on the jobs. I had a moving and storage business. I had to plan the uh, future of the company. I had to have a, a growth plan and all that sort of thing. And then, I, you know, my training in college and what and so on on the secular side was accounting so eventually after i sold my business i went into accounting and you know became a controller at finally i mean i built up to it but you know i was in charge of finance and all different kinds of stuff and there was a lot of that those organizational skills that i was being trained for that you know that i had put into use when i was a kid that, that I was now being, you know, using them as an adult. You know, we need to th think about how God has uh, prepared us for adult adulthood and for ministry. Um, look back at your life and determine the things that you can do and the things that you can't do. Think about... <clears throat> What God does for you in ministry are those things that he has prepared you for. You know, a lot of people are still searching for ministry. They don't know where God's going to use them. They don't know where they're going to go as far as serving God. But a lot of times, if you look back at the gifts that God has given you, the ones that you have developed over the years, 
sometimes that will help you to discover your passion. Sometimes, sometimes that will help you find direction in ministry as to what God's going to do for you. Because trust me, if God has a plan, it's not a willy-nilly, off-the-cuff, spur-of-the-moment kind of a call. It's something He's planned for you your entire life, even before you were born. And so all during the course of your life, God's been getting you ready for it. Verse, uh, where are we at? Verse 14. And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, so we have an event about to occur here, the healing. Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's a lunatic, sore vexed. For oftentimes he falleth into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to the disciples and they couldn't cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples of Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove. Nothing shall be impossible to you. Howbeit how this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. So basically, <coughs> what he's accusing his, uh, his apostles of um, is not being prepared, not being spiritually diligent enough. I mean, does God have a purpose? In this, these kind of things, of course he does. You remember the uh, the young man who was uh, who was possessed and or who and who was uh, sick, debilitated, and they were blaming it on the sin of his parents. And Jesus said, "No, he's been this way just for this moment, so I could be glorified, so I could do what I'm about to do." And you know, so you know, maybe that's what has occurred here. But the problem was, the disciples couldn't do anything about it. Why? Well, he's saying they come out, these, these devils come out by prayer and fasting. And in other words, you haven't prepared yourself spiritually to perform this task. You know, as Christians, we all need to have our own special time of uh, devotion and spiritual growth and that sort of thing. And of course, part of that is, is going to church. Part of that is having good spiritual advisors and friends and influences around us. Um, but it kind of goes back to this other thing of the value of early preparation, or of daily preparation. If we're neglecting the things of God, if we're not preparing ourselves to face the day, if we're not seeking God's guidance, seeking God's input, seeking God's strength, seeking God's support, we're not going to be able to perform the things we need to perform. Things are going to come before us, and we're going to fail miserably. So why don't we do these things? Well, I don't know. We all have our own excuses. Maybe we'll talk about that later. But the bottom line is this. If we're not preparing ourselves spiritually, then, then we're not ready for the day. We're not ready for, God has, for what God has planned for us. Folks, be aware of the fact that God expects us to be prepared. God expects us to turn to Him. God expects us to grow. 
God has plans. God has great things in store for you and for me. As long as you're alive, He still has a purpose for you. All we have to do is continue to do what He's told us to do in order to be ready. Now we're at the end of the segment today, and we will pick up, I guess, in verse 22 when we come back. Thank you, and God bless.